The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. And you know what God does? God does the same thing as he illustrates in the parable of the prodigal son. He lets you dig around long enough in the pig trough till finally, hopefully, you'll realize that real contentment and joy is found at home with the Father. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and this is Today with Jeff Vines. And we're continuing a message from last time. We'll be reminded that when we have surrendered our lives to Christ, we sign our lives over to God to mould and shape. Pastor Jeff is asking, do our lives look any different? Have we moved towards holiness, godliness? Pastor Jeff will be in Philippians chapter 3. So turn there in your Bibles and here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of this message. You know, think about it for a moment. The busyness of life has sucked the life out of so many of us. You need to go back to the way it used to be. You can recall when God was working in a dynamic way in your life. And I'll tell you what you're going to find out. You're going to find out it's connected with you had that very private place that you used to go and talk to God. For me, it was a big old tree in Africa. And I was young. And you know, when you're young, you're arrogant, aren't you? And I would say to God, I I love that time sitting under that tree and reading my Bible and praying And I remember saying to God, God, do whatever you have to do in me to make me the person you want me to become. That's a big mistake. (laughs) Well, it's not really, but sometimes it feels that way because he'll do it. But I remember even though life was tough in many ways in those days, that I yearned to sit under that tree and to talk to God and to just raise the bar and raise the mark little by little, day after day, trying to be the person God wants me to become. And the reality is there are so many of you in this room, you need to go find the tree again. You need to go find that place again because God's not gonna leave you alone. Francis Thompson called him the hound of heaven and he wants you to be moving all the time toward conformity to the image of his son, purity and holiness in your life so that you can be the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. And if you give up and stop raising the bar, that doesn't mean it's gonna be easier. I think God is going to thrust you into circumstances that make you incredibly uncomfortable till finally one day you wake up and say, I've got to start raising the bar again. I am not becoming who God wants me and needs me to become. Now, here's the reality. I promise you, if you do this, 
If you walk out of here today and you say, you know what, he's right. I'm going to read two verses tomorrow during lunch hour. I'm going to pray just for 10 minutes tomorrow. I'm just going to start with 10, maybe even five. Here's what will happen. You'll do it for about a week and then you will fail. You'll do it again. You will. How do I know? Because you're in the flesh. And at that point, the devil will come in and he will try to make you feel guilty. And he will say to you, oh, you're worthless. You can't even do that. And at that point, you have the choice of how you're going to respond. Do you know that that is not coming from the Holy Spirit to make you feel guilty because all guilt's been removed. We therefore stand in no condemnation. We are right with God. But the devil will try to tell you that you've blown it, you've failed, you'll never be a good Christian, so just give up while the Spirit will prompt you, no, keep raising the bar, keep trying. You will fail, but keep trying. That's why the Apostle Paul writes the second characteristic of an extraordinary life when he says this, that extraordinary people living the extraordinary life consistently forget past failures. If you raise the bar, you will have seasons when you will fail. There were times when Keith Turner would raise that piece of tape on the backboard and it would be weeks, if not months, before he could touch it 10 times in a row, but he'd learned a lesson. You keep reaching for the mark and not allow failures to debilitate you to stifle future progress. Here's what Paul says, interestingly enough. In Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So in Romans, Paul is still focusing on the past, but he's learning a lesson so that in Philippians chapter three, five years later, after having spent two years in a Roman prison and having a lot of time to contemplate, he comes to the conclusion that thinking about the past is counterproductive. So he writes this, now here's what I do. Forgetting what lies behind, I continue to reach for the tape. Folks, the reality is, if you set the bar higher, and you get a devotional plan or a prayer plan, and you're going to do this, or you're going to talk to this person about Christ, you're going to take some risk, you're going to give, you're going to serve, even though it's risky and it feels dangerous, you're going to raise the bar, you're going to have moments of failure. And if you have a pity party and you feel sorry for yourself, then you will settle for the mediocre life. Do you know, now stay with me, do you know I have met so many people along my way of ministry that simply stop risking, because here's the way they think, if I don't take risk, then I won't fail. So I'd rather just live here in this mediocre, mundane life. But at least that way, I don't have to face failure. Now, you, you kind of look at that and think, that's kind of weird, but all of us have a little bit of that in us, don't we? We do. Let me give you an example. When Robin and I were in New Zealand, she wanted to go to Hong Kong. She had heard that the shops stay open all night in Hong Kong. Do <laughs> you know that's true? They just bring the goods right out on the street. If you've ever been, you can walk downtown and shop all night. Shop till you drop. And it's safe. Now, you know why? Because if you get caught stealing, they'll just string you up right there. Now, take that for what it's worth, but it's an incredibly safe city. Now, Robin and I had been walking through the city probably three or four hours, and I'm getting hungry, but I'm on foreign soil. So I don't know what to eat. That's a hard thing for a young guy. And we smell all these aromas coming out of all this Asian food, and it just smells wonderful. And Robin keeps saying, hey, let's eat here. And I'll say, no, no, we don't know what that's like, Rob. We don't know. There might be something in it. She goes, oh, come on. It smells great. I said, no, can't do that. So, I mean, we just pass one good smell after the next because I'm not sure what's in there. And then we see the golden arches. <laughs> Now, 
the kingdom has come. And I say, look, Rob, McDonald's. She goes, you hate McDonald's. I said, I know, but at least that way I won't be disappointed because I know it's bad and I'll just eat it. And she said, what? I said, well, honey, I know McDonald's is bad, so I'll go eat it and I'll know it's bad. I won't be disappointed. But if we eat something over here, then I might be expecting something good. It might be really bad and then I'll be disappointed. This way I avoid disappointment. She said, You're, you've got to be the craziest husband on the face of the earth. I said, that might be true, but we're going to McDonald's. And we went to McDonald's and it was bad, but I was okay with it. <laughs> Let me tell you what Eileen Gruder says about this whole scenario. She says this, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer. Drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants. Go to bed early. Stay away from nightlife. Avoid all controversial subjects so as to never give offense. Mind your own business. Avoid involvement in other people's problems. Spend money only on necessities and save all you can. And you can still break your neck in the bathtub and it'll serve you right. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Failure is part of life. It's the way life is lived. And you can stop risking, but you'll stop living. And you'll never be the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. You'll never achieve greatness or the extraordinary life. Sooner or later, you've got to walk out of this building and say, okay, that was a good sermon. I think I'll do something. I'll read my Bible. I'll try to grow. I'll set the tape higher. And even though I fell, I'm going to remember what Jeff says. So what? Welcome to the real world. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward toward the mark. Folks, I am so convinced about this, that this is so debilitating. I want you to look at the visual example God has given us in our anatomy. Look at the way you're made. Your feet go forward, right? They point forward. They don't swivel around. Well, some of you double-jointed might a little bit. You still can't walk that way. They're made to walk forward. Look at your knees. They buckle forward. Your nose is on the front to smell what's in the front. Your eyes look forward. Your ears, most of your ears do lean forward just a little bit. Everything's going this way. There's only one part of the anatomy stuck on the other side. And that just proves that some things need to be left behind. So when you reach the goal and you set the tape higher, the reality is you're going to fail and you're smart when you just take that and shovel it behind and keep going forward. You remember Jonas Salk who invented a cure for polio? 200 times he thought he had the cure and it failed. And somebody asked him, How, what was it like to fail 200 times? I love his, his response. He said, I didn't even fail once. I just discovered 200 ways how not to cure polio. <laughs> You're going to discover hundreds of ways of how not to have a devotional life, not to spend time in prayer, how not to achieve purity. But along the way, you will settle into your sweet spot and you will find what it is that works for you. That it might be reading your Bible in lunch hour. It might be buying the Bible on CD and listening to it in your car on the drive home. There's a way that will work. And if you just start raising the mark just a little, someday you'll stand back and you'll look at yourself and say, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what I've become. Little by little makes a bundle. Extraordinary lives raise the mark. And two, they forget what lies behind. But three, and most importantly, they are people who are living the extraordinary life and they are living their lives for a purpose greater than themselves. Here's what Paul says next. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love what Wayne Cadero says. He says, there's got to be a greater purpose to my life 
than just trying to manipulate the world to revolve around me and my desires and my mandates and my own goals. Now, please listen to me just for a moment here. There is great irony, great irony in what Jesus says. He says, he who loses his life for my sake will ultimately find it. Young people, let me say it to you again. This world has nothing for you. You're not gonna find your meaning and your purpose and everything that you're looking for in the here and now if it's outside of what God has called you to do. You know, I just read an article by an interesting guy. It's uh, John Cheever. And he says, do you know what the number one emotion of the American is? Disappointment. And I thought, we're, we're the wealthiest country in the world. And then I started thinking, of course it's disappointment because we continue to try to fill an eternal void by temporary means. You think that if you go out and get more stuff, that's why you're so worried. We're so worried about the economy and the price of gas because we think all that makes us happy. And you know what God does? God does the same thing as he illustrates in the parable of the prodigal son. He lets you dig around long enough in the pig trough till finally, hopefully, you'll realize that real contentment and joy is found at home with the Father. Some people will never discover it. And you misinterpret your loneliness and your frustration for not having enough stuff when God deliberately induces that kind of frustration in your life in hopes that one day you'll turn around and say, happiness is not found in this pig trough. It's found at home with the Father doing what the Father made me to do. I'll tell you what, when you meet a person who discovers this, it's like life change. There's a man, stay with me here, Bill McCarthy. Uh, I, I met him in New Zealand. He walked in after about the fourth service of our new church. And he said, uh, Mr. Vines, you don't know me. My name is Bill McCarthy. I'd like to have a, co a coffee with you. Do you mind? I said, sure, we can meet for coffee. After he left the building, somebody came up and said, hey, do you know who that was? I said, no. He said, that's Bill McCarthy. I said, okay, who's Bill McCarthy? He said, he's like a New Zealand icon. He's like the American version of Walter Cronkite. He, let, he read the news for TV One for over 30 years. He was there at the crash on Mount Erebus. As a matter of fact, right now, you know where Bill McCarthy is? He is in, at the Olympics. He is the program director for the IOC. Bill said to me over coffee when we met, Jeff, I would like to come in with my broadcast team and film your services and put them on national television. But here's his next line. But don't ever try to convert me to Christianity. What do you think about that? I said, well, Mr. McCarthy, why would you want my sermons on national television? He said, and he said, I don't know. I just think that what you're saying needs to be heard by my country, so we're going to put it on air. You got a problem with that? I said, I guess not. <laughs> and we met every Wednesday for coffee to discuss the program, try to invest a little bit in each other's lives. And it, it, it go, a month or two would go by, and I'd kind of throw in a comment, and he said, ah, I told you, don't ever try to convert me to Christianity. I mean, he was sharp with it, but we kept meeting. I dropped the topic. We kept talking. I started learning about his life because we started becoming friends. I learned that his parents left him on a dock in Dunedin at five years of age and didn't return. That he'd gone to orphanage after orphanage, probably abused in most. And he was determined that he was going to prove to the world he was somebody, a driven, passionate man to be somebody. And in his eyes, he had become somebody. But you could see the look in his eyes and the little tear that would stroll down his cheek at the right moment in the right place, reflecting or betraying his outer demeanor 
that internally he was lost. Now what's amazing about this story is year after year goes by, Bill is not only filming my messages, but he's going into the editing room and spending a day and a half probably watching them three or four times to edit, cut, splice, so that they would be ready to go to broadcast. So I'm thinking, man, this guy's listening to the sermon live, then he's watching it four or five times, and it has no impact on him. That was kind of disheartening. <laughs> and so he's watching these shows, he's editing them, and finally Bill calls up around the seventh or eighth year, and he says, uh, Jeff, I've got a proposition for you. He says, I've talked to national uh, radio, News Talk ZB, which goes out all over the country. And he says, uh, you're going to come in on Good Friday for three hours, and I want you to, to debate the country, people who call in on whether God is real and the resurrection is objectively true. I said, well, Bill, I've never done radio. He says, don't worry, you'll be fine. Now, I was a little nervous. He marched me, uh, well, actually, we took the elevator, 15 floors, a huge building downtown Auckland. They brought these huge headphones down on the radio station, this big mic, and I was with Steve Kumar, who was an Indian apologist, a great man, a sharp guy, and the questions started to flow. Bill McCarthy's standing behind the window watching all this. Questions start coming in, and he's kind of pointing to me, yeah, keep going, keep going. He's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so when Steve Kumar would try to answer a question, he would go, you know, you answer that, you answer that. I say, chill out, Bill. <laughs> And then a lady called near the end of the three hours, and she said, I don't even know why we're listening to you guys. There is no objective proof of the resurrection. My answer to that was long, and I noticed that Bill was listening, and I noticed his demeanor changing. After it was over, I walked out. Now, remember, this is a seven- or eight-year relationship we've had. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I walked out. Bill took my hand, and I could tell this is a little bit weird. <laughs> And he looked me in the eye and he called me big fella. He said, big fella, I think it's time that I cross over. <laughs> now crossover was a term that I had coined there in New Zealand for somebody who's tired of riding on the fence and just checking Jesus out. And now I'm going to give my life to him. I thought, Bill, are you kidding me? He said, uh, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to do it. I said, great. I said, by the way, can I ask what did it? He said, well, I've always believe that there's no way that Jesus could have rose from the dead. But after hearing that answer, maybe, maybe I was wrong. I, I need to give my life to him. I said, okay, I'll get everything ready for Sunday. He said, no, 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 right now. I said, well, we got we to gotta get the baptism ready. No, 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 right now. I said, okay. He said, meet me at my house in a half an hour. I went home, went to his house. He had a hot tub there. <laughs> it, it seats too comfortably. And so Bill comes out, as Kiwi men do when they're going to get in the hot tub, in his Speedos, <laughs> which is a little too much information for me. And, he, and no matter how old you are, you wear the Speedos. So he comes out in his Speedos, and, oh, okay, Bill, let's go. He gets down in the hot tub. Now, around the hot tub are some people he invited from the community, his friends, that are wondering, what on earth is this? Remember, New Zealand icon, what's going on here? His wife, who's been praying for him for over 20 years, is watching all this. His daughter, Julia, who's incredibly gifted, who's right now in London playing with the London Symphony, and then his daughter, Rachel, and his son-in-law, Jeff. We're all around the hot tub. His wife doesn't know what to think. It's happening so fast. She's been praying for this forever. He comes down in the water. He looks up to me and says, okay, big fella, I'm ready. I said, Bill, do you know what we're doing? He goes, yeah, yeah, I know what we're doing. I've heard it a thousand times. I'm separated from God because of my sin. Jesus bridges that gap. Bill, do you claim him as Lord? I do. Now let's get on with it. 
I put my hand over his nose and mouth. We take him down the hot tub. He comes out. He's so happy. I mean, my goodness. He takes me, gives me a big old bear hug and pulls me up and squeezes me. He did play rugby, pretty strong guy, and just hugs me. And then we're looking around before we can even advance to the next phase. His daughter, Julia, with her clothes on, runs down into the hot tub and hugs her father and hugs me and looks me in the eye and says, what do I need to do to be right with God? Now, when the mother hears this, she's so weak, she's so weak and overcome and overwhelmed with joy that her family's coming to God that she has to get down on her knees because she can't stand up. And Julia hugs her father, Bill, and hugs me. And she says, what do I need to do? So I say, you're separated from God because of your sin. Jesus provides a way. You can be right with God. He's going to make a difference in your life. She makes the good confession. I baptize her. She comes out. She hugs her father. Her father hugs me again, pulls me up again. Julia hugs me again. There are three in a hot tub seated for two. It's really hot. Before we can do anything, his other daughter, Rachel, comes running down into the hot tub with her clothes on. The mother now is just seated on the ground all week. <laughs> Rachel looks up to me and says, what do I need to do to be right with God? I said, Rachel, you're separated from God because of your sin. Jesus provides the way back home to God by his sacrifice on the cross. Do you believe? Do you confess him as Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. We baptize her. And I do mean we, because there's not much room in the hot tub. We <laughs> baptize Rachel. She comes out of the water. We're all hugging. We're kissing. We're hugging. It's exciting. Ray, uh, Ray, uh, the, the mother's about to pass out. And just when you think it's all over, the son-in-law, Jeff, comes running down in the hot tub. <laughs> He's got his clothes on. He says, what do I need to do to be right with God? A part of me wanted to say, have you not been listening? <laughs> but of course you don't do that. So I said, here's what you need to do. We baptize him. We're all, said this hot tub seats too, barely. Now we've got how many? Five people in this hot tub. And we're just hugging him. We don't want to get out. We don't want it to stop. And Bill makes us all like a, only a Kiwi can do a big lamb roast dinner, and we all go and eat and spend almost, I mean, we're there so late just rejoicing. A family has come home. When I told Bill I was leaving New Zealand, he took it the hardest. He came to the airport, say goodbye. And there's a thousand things Bill could have said to me. Just before I turned to walk through the gate, my family had gone and I stayed behind. I said, Bill, you know, the calling of God is on my life. I have to follow him. And he said, I know, I know, big fella. And then he looked up, just with tears in his eyes, and I'd never seen Bill cry. Big tears. Now, not, not little tears I'd seen just when in emptiness. I mean, he was weeping. And he said, thank you for giving me something to live my life for. That all that he had done in his life before that time was empty and hollow, but now, Everything that he would do from that day forward would be for a purpose greater than himself. And if you were to meet Bill McCarthy today, I just wish you could have known him before he found and met the Savior and this purpose became evident. For so many of you, I want to say to you again, the busyness of life has sucked the life out of you. And somewhere along the line, God hopes you'll stop digging around in the pig trough and come home to live in the presence of the Father. And he will give you a purpose for which to live that will change your life and will give you that hope and that meaning and purpose that every single one of you are ultimately looking for. That's the extraordinary life. Father, we are grateful for your kindness, for your goodness. 
We are thankful for the way that you work in our lives by reminding us that there is a calling on all our lives. Father, I thank you for the the way your spirit opens up our eyes during times like this to just call us back home, to ask us if we'll stop piddling in places that will never bring what they promised to bring, that indeed there's a hollowness to it. My prayer is a church collectively as we love each other and attempt to be the city on the hill that cannot be hidden, that every single person today would ask, are they raising the mark in their lives, marching closer and closer to you to be used by your purposes? And even when failure comes that we forget it, we march on, we march on together. We live the extraordinary life. Forgive us where we have not. Inspire us to go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.